Welcome to the Wild and Free Podcast, Episode 72. I'm Ainsley Arment, and this week we're talking with the author of Mere Motherhood, Cindy Rollins, about upholding the ideals of Charlotte Mason homeschooling in the messy midst of everyday life. I believe that you have this desperate need for children to have stories and uh, from all over the place, fairy tales, um, true Bible stories, uh, all of these things contribute to the child and make them, you're building a very strong foundation so that when you start to build up, you have a foundation. Plus, we've released a new print collection called Nature that's available wherever books are sold. We'll tell you all about it. So grab a cup of coffee and join us on the front porch. Let's get started. I grew up in West Point, New York, a tight-knit military community nestled along the grassy western bank of the Hudson River. For a few memorable years, home for me was a modest townhome with a small side yard and a wooded hill across the back alley. I was a strongly introverted child, so nature brought me tremendous peace and comfort when I was little. When ordinary life was too much, I went outdoors and found a friend in solitude. In the wild, life made sense to me. It was up on the hill behind my house among the spruce and fir trees that I figured out who I was. When I was alone, no matter that civilization was just a stone's throw away, sitting atop a giant rock perched on the sloping landscape, I discovered a safe space where I could think, dream, and simply be. As I look back over my life, I realize that I've always felt most at home when I'm a little lost in the wilderness, in the crowd, or in my thoughts. I've seen it with my own kids too over the years, when they light up as they're bounding down the trail or making their own path through the trees. They delight in the discovery of a bug they've never seen before or spotting a majestic bird perched high in the trees. They wonder in watching a thunderstorm roll across the sky and splashing in rain puddles with their bare feet. Even the ones that don't get quite so excited about exploring nature seem to come alive after spending time outdoors. John Muir wrote, Everybody needs beauty as well as bread. Places to play in and pray in where nature may heal and give strength to body and soul. If we are going to restore the wonder of childhood, we must give our children abundant time outdoors. If we expect our children to one day care for the earth, We must help our children fall in love with their planet. If we want to help our children become wild and free, we must give them a childhood steeped in nature. Time in nature is not a luxury. It is a necessity. And we must give our children time to explore, discover, and get to know the world that brings endless delights and lessons that never cease. Let's reclaim nature in our children's lives and grow resilient and healthy adults. At our Wild and Free simulcast event this past October, our friend Tina Ingold shared a letter with the audience that sounded an awful lot like the letters many mamas were writing as the pandemic closed down schools. It's called Intent to Homeschool, and we thought you'd get a kick out of it. Hope you enjoy. (sighs) 
to whom it may concern. I'm sending you this letter to declare my intent to homeschool. Before the pandemic, the thought would have never crossed my mind. But I have to say, I'm actually looking forward to spending more time with my kids. Well, and wearing pajamas all day. Okay, ignore that. <clears throat> I'm not just mom anymore, you know? I'm the history teacher, the math teacher, the science teacher, the gym teacher, the lunch lady, and the after-school tutoring program all rolled into one. I've said my goodbyes to my gym membership. I've paid my respects to my weekly pedicures. I've made my peace with never again being able to use the bathroom alone. I guess you could call me an unlikely homeschooler, but I'm willing to give this thing a try. I've already started looking for economy-sized passenger vans. Who am I? I'm helping my children stay socialized by hanging out with other homeschooling families, and I'm proud to say my kids are now fluent in the Elvish language. I've been getting a lot of emails about joining a homeschool coop. At first I thought, we wild and free homeschoolers must be required to keep chickens. Turns out I was just pronouncing co-op wrong. I may not have a teaching degree. I may not have been a great student myself. But if there's something I don't know, I can always Google it, right? The other day, my children asked me if I was going to be the one teaching them. When I told them yes, they asked whether their father might be available instead. Not exactly the reaction I was hoping for. Well, guess who gets the last laugh? I just bought all the curriculum. Those little turkeys are going to have no idea what hit them. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I already have my daily rhythm all planned out. First, we'll have breakfast read-alouds. Then, science and scones. Then we'll finish our morning with biology and biscuits. Then, of course, we'll have lunch. Then we'll move on to munchies and math. And then English and English muffins. And finally, we'll end the day with poetry tea time. And then I guess it'll be time for dinner. <laughs> Gotta watch out for that first year 15, am I right? So yes, it's true. I'm declaring my intent to homeschool. The state of the world has left me no choice. And I don't want my children to just get by, you know? I want them to thrive. I want them to read great books, explore nature and pursue their curiosities. I want them to grow and learn in places that are as alive and wild as they are. I want them to have a childhood. I know I may not be the best teacher of certain subjects. I may not even be able to accomplish everything I set out to do. But I know that I love my children better than anyone else in the whole world. And I'm exactly the teacher they need right now. The pandemic may have forced us to do something that we never would have considered before, but it just might be the very thing our children need. To have time to develop their passions, to have room to spread their wings, and to have the chance to be wild and free. Well, I'm signing off for now. If you don't hear from me in a year, please send help. Yours truly, a new homeschool mom. Cindy Rollins is the author of the beloved book, Mere Motherhood, and the practical guide, A Handbook for Morning Time, among others. 
She homeschooled her nine children for over 30 years, and her heart's desire is to encourage moms, especially those raising boys. She lives in Chattanooga, Tennessee with her husband, Tim, their dog, Max, and however many children happen to be at home at the time. She recently sat down with Jennifer Pepito to talk about upholding the ideals of a Charlotte Mason education in the messy midst of everyday life. Let's listen in. Oh, I'm just always excited to learn from you, Cindy. I appreciate your, you know, really dedication to Charlotte Mason principles while also being realistic. You know, I think that moms get these romantic ideals about homeschooling in general, but especially Charlotte Mason tends to bring out the romantic in us. And we envision these days of reading poetry and sipping tea and making beautiful art. But then we encounter the reality of small children who are crying or babies with poopy diapers, or even in my case, trying to parent adult children who are still living at home in whatever ways those adult children need me while also trying to live up to my Charlotte Mason ideals. You know, how do we find that happy balance where we have some idealism in our homeschool and some vision, but also don't hate ourselves when we can't achieve that? Yeah, it's really hard because when you wake up in the morning, you do need to have some sort of vision for, you know, what you're doing, why you're doing it. And yet most days I would say have have the potential to not live up to those ideals. So what do you do then? And for me, what I did was I just kept going. If the day fell apart, I just got up the next day and kept going. And if the week fell apart, I just got up the next week and kept going. And I let that add up in whatever way it was going to add up and did not throw it all out and start all over all the time (laughs) because I did have a vision. I, I had read for the children's sake. I really loved the vision that Susan Schaefer McCauley put out in that book. And I really wanted that for my children and I wanted it for myself. And I think that part was what actually kept me going was because I was being fed by these ideas. So if one day was bad, well, we're just going to get up and feed on ideas the next day. And that was always before us. So just being able to persevere and not get discouraged and not quit because it looks like, you know, this is a bad week. I love that. And it's interesting because really Charlotte Mason at its core is atmosphere, discipline, and life. And so it's not, you know, I think sometimes we overwhelm ourselves with making it something that it doesn't have to be. It's maybe an idealistic version of, you know, the life, the living education, it represents all of this whole core of books, or the discipline involves this long, long list of habits. But if we boil it down to just essentials of, you know, having a happy atmosphere, having an atmosphere that is conducive to learning, having some good habits, and presenting ideas like even if we're sitting there nursing a baby or changing a diaper or chasing down a toddler we can still be having those conversations with our children or talking about books or reading the picture books while the toddlers are gathered around us where we're presenting the feast of ideas yes i mean ideas have consequences and when even if we can't just throw out all the ideas that we want that even if we just do a little bit those ideas will have consequences in the lives of our children and what one thing I see that that I think we over moms and Charlotte Mason tried to get moms not to do this or, or teachers. Moms take too much on themselves. So they want to present this beautiful atmosphere 
and they maybe do all the work for their children in order to make the atmosphere, make everything fit, make everything. You can be a little more haphazard with ideas than that. And even if you don't set up this wonderful unit study where everything fits together, in fact, Charlotte Mason would have said, don't do that because you want you want your children's minds to make those connections themselves. So mom really shouldn't feel like she has to do it all. I mean, moms like to do that kind of stuff, but if you can't do it, all you really have to do is pick up a book and begin reading and those ideas, whatever is in that book will do the work. I'm reading the book Freedom Train by Mm. Dorothy Sterling about the life of Harriet Tubman. And it's interesting because as a child, you know, she didn't have any education or formal education, but her father, you know, he would take her on walks and point out the North Star, point out the moss on the trees. Her mother was constantly teaching her. There was singing. There was gatherings where they were telling stories. So there's all of this presentation of ideas that gave her the power as an adult to rescue 300 people from slavery. You know, it gave her the power as an adult to give up what could have been an easier life once she had escaped to keep going back and helping her people. It gave her that that love and that idealism and that character to be a hero instead of just kind of being a victim and waiting for someone to help her. That is incredible. What an incredible story. And I love what you said about the singing. She was singing and the, the, they were probably singing traditional folk songs and hymns. Those are all full of ideas and full of, like you're saying, the idea of honor. And most of the songs that, you know, last are, are songs about, you know, people who overcame things and to have that heritage and, and just in a song it goes a long way in our family. So I can see easily how that would have uh, worked in her life. Yeah. And I think the other lesson that I'm really taking from it is that power of endurance, because I think that when we're parenting young children, it is so exhausting. You know, we're going from teaching a math lesson to trying to help someone with phonics to maybe helping explain an algebra lesson to older children. It can get I can remember just how frazzled I felt going from one child to the next. But, you know, you just the love compels us to just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And doing what needs to be done, even if it at times feels like a really thankless and even hopeless job. Well, I always say that about parenting. You know, it's you really have to have a lot of grit to do such a thankless job because very often uh, nobody is out there patting you on the back. Your children aren't, um, you know, they're not quite ready to rise up and call you blessed. They're, they're really, they just want their lunch. And, um, and, and this goes on for a long, long, long time where you're giving of yourself every day, pretty much to people who don't appreciate you and, and being able to continue to do that and looking to the Lord, you know, directly or, you know, looking outside of yourself is very helpful. <laughs> I agree. I think it's it's really one of the ways that we can not just survive motherhood, but actually thrive in it is, you know, being able to recognize that we can do this. It might be hard sometimes, but we can do it. We have what it takes to raise our children. And I think consistency is so helpful here, you know. Oftentimes, I feel like when we have those discouraging days or it feels like things are falling apart, we sometimes just want to get out. You know, we want to escape. It's like it's like childbirth. You know, you're getting to that point where it's transition and you're like, get me out of this, you know, but 
uh, Robert Louis Stevenson in the book, I think, or the poem, I think, Servant of Servants said, the only way out is through. And so sometimes we just have to keep pushing through those hard days. You know, you go to sleep at night and you get a new fresh start. And, and I, you know, I think that we can change gears. Like if we're, if a child is crying over a math lesson, we should probably stop, take a walk and then play a math game. Right. I think parents put a lot of pressure on themselves and in, in America, especially we have this, you know, let's do it younger. Let's do it. Let's push, push, push hardly any learning takes place in that method. There is no way to learning through pushing the child. Now, that's not to say we don't um, do hard things or that we don't encourage and challenge. There is such a thing as readiness in almost every aspect of learning, but most learners have to be on board with the learning. And most of the time with kids, to get them on board, they have to feel like they can do it. And that's why so many times kids shut down with math. They just can't see that it's it's possible for them to do it. So that's where mom comes in with her the job of trying to find a way to help the child see for himself that this is not overwhelming. And often that just means stepping back and doing something a little bit easier, a little bit within reach, just so he can you can capture that child's imagination that he can do math. Um, because pushing forward is very often not the way to um, overcome some of these harder, harder times. I read a study recently and it was about um, a couple of Head Start preschools. And so in one of them, it's a it's maybe an older study. It was on a Psychology Today article, I think, by Peter Gray. But they were talking about. Essentially, what happened is they had one preschool that was developmental, and then they had another one that was more like academic. So basically one that was more play-based play and one that was trying to teach these preschoolers to read, right? And they followed these children into their 20s. And, you know, by fourth grade, there were no difference in the gains. So maybe early on, you could see academic improvement in the ones that had the academic preschool. By fourth grade, it was completely evened out. And in the adult years, there were actually more social skill problems with the academic preschool children you know, more criminal behavior even than with the play base. Because when we give our children that quiet growing time in the early years, they learn how to listen to story and then act it out and and play it out and learn how to resolve conflict. But when we push academics, when there should be a basis of story and a basis of developing a whole child, we end up getting maybe a child that initially seems really smart, but later on is lacking in so many of the skills needed for a, a well-rounded life. I absolutely believe that. I believe that you have this desperate need for children to have stories and uh, from all over the place, fairy tales, um, true Bible stories, uh, all of these things contribute to the child and make them, you're building a very strong foundation so that when you start to build up, you have a foundation and, and, and there's no telling what, what will happen with a child that's given that strong foundation. Whereas if you don't build that foundation because you think you're going to build a high tower with your child, uh, you disrespect the person of your child and you're, you're using your child as a kind of a product, your product. Look what I've done. I've made this super child. And, and that, that child is not, does not have a strong foundation. And it, it does come out to tell. I mean, that's one thing about getting older. 
you start to see these stories, you start to see a pattern in what makes a, a child a good learner. Uh, curiosity is one of the main things that make a person a, a good learner. Most of us have curiosity. So what happens when children, when we kill it, when we kill their curiosity, that really half the, half the uh, work we need to do is get out of the way and not destroy um, the God-given desire that children have, uh, the curiosity they have. And that's not to say that we have to coddle our children. Or uh, Charlotte Mason, one of the interesting things about her was that she didn't mean, she didn't have like a child-centered attitude, but she thought the child was everything the man was. So a child is a human and wants to learn in the same way that an adult wants to learn. We all learn the same way. We don't magically have a different way of learning when we're children than we do when we're adults. So she she respected children and felt like we shouldn't insult them um, by the way we taught them. That's really great. And it's interesting because I think that what the temptation is, is that if you have a worksheet filled out, you can almost Mm -hmm. prove that you did something. Whereas if you read a chapter to a child and ask them to orally narrate, which is maybe all they're capable of at that time, you've got no way to prove that you learned anything. Except that what happens later on is the child who learned through stories has this character that's, that's so special, whereas the child who who was learning just through worksheets, all they know is how to parrot information. They really haven't had a chance to think about a story and the consequences of actions and to think about the beauty of words and to think about heroism in the same way that the child who was taught on stories has. There is, uh, this is me being super opinionated, but there's hardly ever a situation where a worksheet is going to provide um, the kind of learning that we pretend like it does provide. <laughs> yes, it, it is concrete. We can all see it. But all you really see when you see a filled out worksheet is something that somebody's put down on paper. You have no idea what has gone on in the mind. And what I can guarantee that what has gone on in the mind is not what has been put down on the paper. And nor will it be remembered. There's very little learning that takes place in that way. And yet, and yet our whole system is based on worksheets and uh, teacher's guides and how to do this this way and how to do it that way. And, and we just really miss the idea that learning is what takes place in the child, not outside of the child. We'll be back with Cindy and Jen in just a moment, but I wanted to share about a new book that's available from Wild and Free. This statistic baffles me and others every time I share it. But studies show that the average child spends only four to seven minutes in unstructured outdoor play each day and more than seven hours in front of a screen. Well, the Wild and Free community is a collective movement to change this reality for our children, one intentional, life-giving moment at a time. We believe in childhood, and we believe in the power of nature. That's why we're thrilled to announce the release of our newest book called Wild and Free Nature. This beautiful full-color publication includes essays, activities, and adventures to help our children get outside and engage in the greatest classroom we could hope to give them. Whether you're a mama that needs to rediscover the power of nature or one that already chases down every adventure, this book is for you. I hope this collection is a magical portal that leads you back to the forests, mountains, and seas. I hope 
it beckons you home. You can get your copy of Wild and Free Nature wherever books are sold. Learn more at bewildandfree.org. Now back to Cindy Rollins and Jennifer Pepito. When you're a product of the educational system, it's hard to break free of the idea that somebody else is smarter than you and somebody else knows better and we need to do it the way that trained experts tell us to do it. But the beauty of of actually natural learning or even Charlotte Mason education is that we're learning together. The attitude isn't that I need some expert to give me their curriculum so I can do it exactly right. The idea is that we're people, we're created to learn. And so we open books with our children or get excited about something with our children and we learn together. I mean, and, and, and the thing I always say now that I'm older is I'm still doing this. I what I started with my kids, which started out as me, you know, I had a vision for homeschooling based on the fact that I was sad that I hadn't learned when I was going through school because I was busy, you know, filling out the worksheets and doing the papers. And I, I wanted to learn all this stuff that I'd missed. And I so I threw myself into homeschooling and learning. Well, then all my kids grew up. And what what am I doing? I'm doing the same thing. I'm still on that track of reading and thinking and learning and even narrating. I do that more now than I ever did uh, especially when I'm preparing for our podcast, The Literary Life, I'm reading the book and I know I want to be able to speak up on the podcast about the chapters. So I find that if I narrate the chapter back to myself, I have it. I'm able to hold on to it. It's never going to go anywhere. <laughs> it's so good. It's interesting. I just read um, How Green Was My Valley oh. and My Antonia. I read them because I wanted to. Nobody was forcing me to. And there were so many lessons that I learned in there you know they were they were at the beginning of welsh unionization and the struggles with the coal miners and this beautiful family life that was depicted and just so many interesting lessons on grit and respect and you know abiding by law in those stories but nobody forced me to learn them i never read those books when i was in school and i think we have this idea that oh there's this core of knowledge and if we don't teach our children all these things before they graduate from high school we've failed but I think we need to look at it more of developing a taste for learning and getting excited about learning ourselves as opposed to filling up a bucket. I mean, how much of what we were taught in school do we really remember anyhow? Um, those are wonderful books. I love How Green Was My Valley. And it's such an underrated book. You don't hear it mentioned a lot, but it is a beautiful story. Well written. It's beautifully written. And it, ju it just tears your heartstrings when you read it. Yes, I did a little. I shed a few tears at the end. <laughs> And, and, you know, just I mean, I think that's the beauty of reading is that there's so many lessons we take from it as we watch humanity. And I think we have to be careful. Like I I wouldn't say that how green was my valley was 100 percent redemptive. It didn't necessarily have this amazing, happy ending. But I think we have to be careful that we're reading books that stir up hope. You know, it's so I, I don't think every book is created equal. And, and while I believe in giving my children an education through literature, I'm also choosy about the literature. Yes. Yes. Well, I, I feel like we sometimes I, I don't know how to say this without being misunderstood. So maybe I don't know if I'll get this out properly, but we try to for 
virtue onto books. Uh, not, and that's not exactly the way they work. So they work, they work much more subtly maybe than we wish they would. They don't, you don't read a book and try to find the virtue in it and then you become virtuous because unfortunately that's not how virtue works. <laughs> that's not how our hearts are made We to, to have virtue. But it does contribute. It does change us. Everything we read changes us a little bit and changes our mind a little bit. And so it can pull us into, like you said, thinking about issues and thinking about things that maybe we didn't get the answer from the book, but maybe we got the questions from the book. And those stay with us. So the book, in a way, didn't make us virtuous, but in a way, it set us on a path of seeking virtue in this situation. You know, in some ways, that is the hope that we have for our children and for the future is that we can still even in a world that's a little bit crazy right now, if we're honest, we can still be giving our children the gift of virtue. We can be giving them the gift of beautiful words and language and beautiful ideas and that there is hope for the future because of beautiful ideas. Yeah, we definitely don't want to be feeding our children despair. It's very important in tough times for our children to see that we have hope and for them to see us with a smile on our face sometimes uh, in overcoming grit, not not in a fake way that, you know, we're, oh, everything's okay all the time. I don't mean it like that, but also we can give in to despair and that is a dangerous thing to do with our children because they're going to go on after we're gone and we want them to go on with hope because they do have hope Um, the world is here it was made and it is uh, and they're a part of it thank you so much for sharing today Cindy it's always such a joy to chat with you oh thank you so much for having me I really enjoy talking to you too thank you Cindy we're always so grateful for your wisdom and insight friends don't forget about the new wild and free nature book It's hot off the presses and packed with activities, ideas, and adventures to help you get your kids outside in nature and reclaim their childhoods. To learn more, visit BeWildAndFree.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but join us again next time for the Wild and Free Podcast.